6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Dr. Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Dr. Missler completes his teaching on the book of 1 Kings, chapters 9 through 11. But King Solomon loved many strange women. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, the women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Zidonians, and the Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said to the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon claimed unto these in love. By the way, I want you to notice something. It doesn't say he left the Lord. He was still worshiping the Lord, but not exclusively. See, we often think that idolatry is when you give up God and go to idols. And that certainly is idolatry. What we fail to realize, idolatry can simply be including idols. Solomon probably worshipped all of them. Made his token gesture to the God of Israel. Made the token gesture to, to embrace him. He was, he was, you know, after all, he was liberal. You know, he's cool. You know. No, no, big mistake. Big mistake. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away. Can you imagine? He must have been exhausted. How many of those had PMS at one time? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The Arabs have a quaint expression about women. They say... uh, 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 one is too many and ten not enough, you know. <laughs> 700 wives, 300 concubines. <laughs> For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord God, Lord his God, as was the heart of David's father. See, it doesn't say he stopped worshiping God, but he really didn't do it with all his heart because he had he was divided now, see? Dangerous. Now let's stop for a minute. Let's realize what advantages he had. He was the wisest guy that ever walked the earth. He was the guy that was prosperous beyond imagining. He had no wars. He had peace on all sides. And he blew it. Boy, that should give us a caution flag. Boy, that should give us a caution flag. When things are going well, it's a dangerous thing spiritually. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And I probably should give. A, I don't want to spend a lot of time on these things, but Ashtoreth was the goddess of a Canaanite deity associated with a fertility cult. It's actually a cognate with the Babylonian term Ishtar, from which we get Easter, by the way. Uh, goddess of sexual love, mater- maternity, and fertility. And uh, Asher is probably the best known of all the fertility cult gods. They go by many different names. Venus Venus was the Latin version of all this. 
Milcom is another form of Machcham, which is identified with Molech or Moloch. He was the chief god of Moab and Ammon. And that's the one that, to whom the Israelites sacrificed their infants in the valley of Hinnom. And uh, so, now he, Solomon gets so ensnared with all this stuff that he builds a high place for this evil deities. The worship of Moloch was stringently prohibited by the law in Leviticus 18 and 20. And it demanded the right of human sacrifice, especially children. And yet they, can you imagine? Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord, as did David's father. Notice, didn't say he didn't go after the Lord, he didn't go after him fully. Realize that, I want you to, I want that to sink in. So most of us think, well gee, it's black and white, you know. He left white, he left light and turned to darkness. No, it's not that simple. He simply gave some allegiance to darkness and didn't give his full commitment to light. Boy, that should scare us. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And uh, again, Chemosh is just is the is the Moabite uh, national deity uh, analogous to Moloch of the Ammonites, if you will. They're essentially equivalent. Cruel, licentious, vulgar in their demands. By the way, interesting point. Equally cruel, licentious, vulgar idols. The Scripture tells us you become like the God you worship. If you worship the world, what's the world like? Harsh and unforgiving. Right? If you worship the world, you'll be harsh and unforgiving. We become like the gods we worship. That's why you want to worship Christ. Because you become like Him. Then did Solomon build a high place for Kimor? Oh, excuse me, I'm down to verse 8. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which he had, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Solomon, go back and read your prayer. Read the Lord's response to that prayer. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant, my statutes, which I commanded thee, I will surely rend thy kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. This is the great tragedy in the nation, because the next chapter, from chapter 12 on, is going to deal with the division of the kingdom. How it gets split north and south. Things go from bad to worse. God says, Notwithstanding in thy days, I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit I will not rend away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to thy son for David, my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. And the Lord stirred up an adversary unto Solomon. Hadad the Edith. You know, I'll come back to the adversaries in a minute. Um, it's interesting. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is going to have one tribe, Judah. What's misleading here is both Simeon and Benjamin had been sort of folded into Judah. Very, Benjamin was very small anyway, and Simeon was folded in. So the one tribe, you say, gee, there's really like two. Yeah, but God's calling it one. It's been folded in. See, I mention this because you always say, well, gee, where's the, you know, the lost ten tribes? We're going to explain, show you in the scripture, the lost ten tribes is a myth. And uh, it's misleading. It, le- it, it in itself is not that big a deal, but it leads to other other kinds of str- strange ideas. 
But the, the, anyway, what's left in, in Rehoboam's hand will be Judah, but it's the large, most powerful southern tribe. It includes actually Simeon and, 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 uh, and Benjamin, in effect. And that will be known as the kingdom of Judah. The rest of the tribes are up north, and by the way, they're not ten. Because first of all, you got three down there, Simeon, Judah, and things, uh, three from, t- three from uh, twelve leaves you nine, and take the Levites, which all migrate south because of the idolatry. You've got eight up there. So if you want to talk about lost tribes, you've got eight maybe. But you'll see that that is, that's, that's, that's not the point anyway. So we'll get into all that. I just want to alert you to that in advance. But I'll, God says, I'll, I'll get, I'll give one tribe to thy son, David, for thy servant's sake, so forth. So now the problems begin. There's going to be three adversaries. There's probably more than just three, but there's three primary ones that stir up here. Lord stirred up an adversary in a psalm, and Hadad the Edomite. And he was of the king's seed in Edom. Now, Edom is to the, the southeast. He, uh, Hadad, uh, royal, royal house of Edom. And way back, he had escaped Joab's massacre and fled with some of his followers to Egypt, where he was treated very kindly by the pharaoh of Egypt. Now, apparently for no valid reason, maybe through the providential leading of God, he requested and got permission from Pharaoh to return home. So back in Israel, he proves to be a thorn in the side of Solomon, as we'll find out uh, uh, subsequently here. Uh, we're going to find two other, there are going to be two other guys. Rezon of Damascus is going to be a, a brigand and a problem. And then Jeroboam is going to be the big problem. We'll come to that. Because Jeroboam is one that Solomon appoints uh, uh, to in charge of his public works. But Jeroboam becomes the leader of the of the... Spin-off group. Hadad, the royal house of Edom, Rezin of Damascus, Jeroboam of the tribe of Ephraim. These are three that are going are to populate the rest of this chapter. It came to pass when David was in Edom, this is a flashback, uh, Joab, the captain of the host, had gone up to bury the slain after he had smitten every male in Edom. For six months did Joab remain there with all the Israel till he had cut off every male in Edom. That Hadad fled in those days, he and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him, they were in the royal line there, to go to Egypt. Hadad being just a little child. They arose out of Midian, came to Paran. They took men with them out of Paran and came to Egypt under Pharaoh the king of Egypt, which gave him a house and appointed him victuals and gave him land. So he found, he, you know, Hadad found refuge down there. Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh. So he gave him to wife, the sister of his own wife, the sister of Tapanus, the queen. And the sister of Tapanus bare him Genubath, his son, whom Tapanus weaned in Pharaoh's house, and Genubath was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. When Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers, and that Joab the captain of the host was dead, those were his enemies, you see, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart, that I may go to mine own country. Then Pharaoh said unto him, But what hast thou lacked with me, that thou beholdest and seekest to go to thine own country? He answered, Nothing, but I'll be it, let me go in any way. In any case. God stirred him up another adversary. So anyway, so Hadad's going to go. Changing the subject. God stirred up another adversary. Rezon, the son of Eliada, which fled from his lord Hadadazer, the king of Zobah. And he gathered men unto him and became a captain over a band. In other words, he, he, he got a gang of cutthroats here. When David, uh, when David slew them in Zobah. And they went to Damascus and dwelt therein and reigned in Damascus. So we got one group from the south, we got another group up here in the north. These are brigands, if you will. And he was an adversary to Israel all the days of Solomon beside the mischief that Hadad did. And he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. And so those are a couple of guys. Now we get the big guy. This is the real troublemaker. 
Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the Ephraimite. Now Ephraim was the most powerful, just as Judah was the most powerful tribe in the south, Ephraim was the dominant one in the north, and it's often used as a synonym for the whole group up there. Uh, anyway, Nebat, uh, the Ephrathite of Zereda, the Solomon's servant whose mother's name was Zeruah, the, a widow woman, even he lifted up his hand against the king. And this was the cause that he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built Milo and repaired the breaches of the city of David his father. And when, and the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing the young man, that he was industrious, made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. In other words, Ephraim and Manasseh were the house of Joseph, those two tribes. And so Solomon's impressed with this young guy, so he puts him in charge. And it came to pass at the time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him in the way. And he clad himself with a new garment, and the two were alone in the field. Now this prophet Ahijah is going to prophesy to Jeroboam, and everything that the prophet said turns out to come true. Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him, and he rent it into 12 pieces. That was a dramatic way to get the guy's attention. Brand new garment, tore it up into 12 pieces. He said to Jeroboam, Take thee 10 pieces. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and I will give 10 tribes to thee. But he shall give, he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake, for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because that they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the children of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in mine eyes, and to keep my statutes and my judgments, as did David his father. Notice who's the guy that writes the rules here. The guy that made the place, created this place. They have not walked in my ways and do that which is right in mine eyes and to keep my statutes and my judgment. God writes the rules. He means what he says and says what he means. It's interesting that today we say there's no real absolutes. Everyone has their, you know, i got my truth, you've got yours. Relativism. Hey, that's a denial of God who really writes the rules. Let's watch it, watch it in its subtleties. Anyway, he continues, Hydra continues, Howbeit I will not take the whole garment out of his hand, but I will make him prince of all the days of his life for David, my servant's sake, whom I choose, because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, and I will give it unto thee, even ten tribes. And unto his son will I give one tribe, that David, my servant, may have a light always before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen me to put my name there. And I will take thee, and thou shalt reign according to all that thy servant desireth, and shalt be king over Israel. Israel becomes a synonym for the north. Judah the south is the house of Israel. Don't confuse the nation Israel, where it means everybody, with the house of Israel, which is the the northern uh, division of the kingdom. Now get this, what he tells, this is really thing. Notice what God says to Jeroboam. And it shall be, if thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and will walk in my ways, and do that which is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee, and I will build thee a sure house as I built for David, and will give Israel unto thee. And I will for this afflict the seed of David, but not forever. Solomon's, now, so that's the, that's the prophecy. That's, in other words, Jeroboam had the insight, spiritual insight, to do what Ahijah told him to do, he would have been a winner. But he didn't. 
He not only takes over, he makes it an idol-worshiping capital. Dumb move, as we'll see as we go on. But anyway, well, Solomon, apparently, now we don't know quite what happened here, but apparently Jeroboam, the words get Solomon's no fool. He's beginning to sense that he's got a problem. Solomon sought, therefore, to kill Jeroboam. Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt. Egypt seems to be quite a shelter. Fled to Egypt unto Shishak, the king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. And the rest of the Acts of Solomon, all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? We don't have that book. And by the way, even if it showed up, it doesn't mean it's inspired. The fact that it's alluded here doesn't mean it's part of the Word of God. But don't, don't, it, it, it's, it's unknown. And at that time, at the, at the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel, it was 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, and Rehoboam reigned in his stead. Solomon reigned about 40 years from 971 to 931 B.C. And uh, if he died, he was given an honorable burial in the city of David. But it's tragic. Solomon's life is tragic. He's greatly blessed by God, but he allowed God's gifts to dominate his affections, not the giver. Distinguishing the gift and the giver. And the fault doesn't lay with God for giving Solomon so much, but with Solomon. Though he had such wisdom to deal with temptations and what have you, he chose to set his affections on the gifts, not the giver. Now what's disturbing about this whole preparation for these last number of chapters is I cannot imagine anybody better qualified to live a successful life. Here's Solomon, chosen by God to be king, in accordance with his request, given wisdom and wealth and peace. He didn't he wasn't he wasn't beset with threats around him originally. Um, he I can't think of anyone more qualified to live a successful life, and yet he chose not to do so. And the question I'd like you to think about is, how are you doing? How are we doing? Success in life, in God's eyes, does not come automatically with the possession of wisdom. That's, that's really disturbing. But it's how we apply it. Our success in life depends on our choices. Solomon made bad choices. And that's not something that you do once and for all. It's something you do moment by moment every day. We choose. We prioritize. We put one thing ahead of another. And we do it imperfectly. Now David wasn't perfect either. But what did David do that Solomon didn't do? Anyone? Huh? He repented, you betcha. Even Solomon acknowledged that no one is without sin. He even throws that little phrase in one of his passages, remember? No man is without sin. Even a little parenthetical uh, item. No man is without sin. When he's giving his prayer to God. David was not without sin. Very, he's got probably the most notorious sin in the scriptures. Bathsheba and all that. Murder of Uriah. But he repented of it. 
Virtually immediately, as soon as, call, as soon as Nathan calls it, he nails it right there. I have sinned. And he repents of it. And uh, God could say, here's a man after his own heart, after God's heart, because he's repentant. He acknowledges his shortcomings. It's really too bad that in our whole Christian walk, we don't emphasize adequately the role of sin and the role of repentance. You hear a lot of evangelists call people to make a decision for Christ without ever really dealing with sin and the need for repentance. And yet that's the core issue, is to repent, seriously repent. And God can deal with that because it's been paid for by Jesus Christ. We can appropriate that payment to us through that repentance, through the, the, the you know, flinging ourselves on his mercy at the foot of the cross. Now, we're, we, we have finished the um, first half of the book of, of First Kings. And uh, what we're going to discover as you prepare for next time that it, the kingdom of Israel is going to be divided into two nations. The northern part called the kingdom, the house of Israel, the southern part the house of Judah. And it's going to split because Rehoboam, Solomon's son, does some foolish things. The people are already buckling under the taxation and the pressures. And if he had any, and, and, and uh, uh, the old man had tried to advise him to, to, to lift that load, the young guys that he listened to, said, no, increase it, make it even worse, which he does, and that, that caused a rebellion. So, uh, but it's not, that the antagonism between north and south didn't start there. If you've been paying attention as we go through David, even David's saying, the tensions between the north and south were very early. David's being embraced by Judah and the whole Hebron thing and all that. We talked about that. So there was a, a, a schism brewing in the nation already. And uh, so uh, Judah, which was the largest uh, tribe in all population, uh, was prominent uh, over the other tribes in the wilderness march and so forth. And they received the lar- Judah received the largest area in, in the, in the, when they reached the promised land. But now Ephraim, up north, among those tribes, was the favored son of Joseph, although it wasn't as large. But it d- does it, you do get a, national, a, a sense of ego and a sense of uh, domination by Ephraim in some of the earlier discussions. And uh, so they're going to be, uh, Ephraim's going to lead that group under the leadership of Jeroboam to separate. Uh, you may recall they separated briefly under David's reign back in 2 Samuel 19. And uh, so there's a fault line between the two groups already opening up, split the monarchy. So what you might do in anticipation of the coming chapters, you might just go ahead and read chapters 12 to the end of the book to get a flavor of it, and we'll be taking uh, taking that up in the next uh, in our next session. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Let's bow our hearts, Father. We tremble before the example of Solomon one that you blessed with wisdom and glory and prosperity and with peace. And yet, we realize he blew it, that his heart was not perfect before you. Oh, Father, we come before your throne, acknowledging our own ingratitude, our own presumption, our own sin. 
as we allocate even a portion of our energies and resources to things other than you, Father. How tragic it is by putting you first in all things. We acknowledge that as sin on our behalf, Father, and we repent of it. Oh, Father, we pray that through your Holy Spirit you would draw us ever closer to you, Father. Help us, Father, to keep our hearts focused on you, the true God. Help us, Father, to keep a light touch on everything else and not get, not pursuing the things of this world. Help us, Father, to keep our hearts focused on you and help us, Father, through the, ho- the light of your Holy Spirit and your word to guide our steps that we might walk where you would have us walk. That our priorities would be your priorities. Oh, Father, we would just do ask that you would guide us, that we might be more fruitful stewards of the opportunities you've given us, that those opportunities would be turned to magnify your name and your glory and not self-aggrandizement. Oh, Father, we we recognize that coveting is idolatry and we are so guilty in so many ways, more than we can number. We do pray, Father, that you would forgive us. We thank you, Father, that you promised that if we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We claim that, Father. In Jesus' name, we ask that you would just indeed forgive us and cleanse us that we might be more pleasing in your sight as we commit ourselves without any reservation into your hands in the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, indeed the Son of David, who will reign forevermore. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Nussler, teaching through the book of 1 Kings. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.